0: Well, good morning, and speaking of amen, there's a couple of amens that I need from you this morning uh, in the course of the sermon, and so we're going to practice. So I say something, you say amen. Are you ready? See, now about 10 of you got that one, all right? I say something, you say amen. Are you ready? Good morning. Happy New Year. Go Steelers. Uh, sorry any Jets fans in the rooms where are you Jenny there she is one New Yorker Bob are you a Giants man Bob where's Bob I don't see Bob he's having a coffee all right I'm a Jets fan today too but uh, anyway Um, you know I haven't had uh, I haven't had the chance up here at least to commend you and to thank you and I'd like to take the opportunity to do that this morning So well done, my brothers and sisters. You, in a time of, boy, one of the worst economic times in recent memory, and when charitable giving is at an all-time low, you decided and made the decision to trust God anyway and to give. You found a way to dig deeper, and you enabled us, and you gave us all what is necessary for us to continue in the year ahead, to love God and love others. I praise God for you. Great job, brothers and sisters. Let's give God a hand. Praise God for his provision here. Now, with great power or might, and money is certainly a form of might, God tells us to love him with all of our might. And with great power or might comes great responsibility. And so now it's up to us, so help us God, but it's up to us to make it all count. All the sacrifice that you and others have made and will continue to make this year despite tough economic times, it's up to us to make it count and to use those gifts every way that we can to continue to love God and love others in the year ahead. Can I have one more for real amen? I mean, what God accomplished together with you throughout the last year and indeed throughout the history of West Bowles, most recently including all of those amazing acts of giving and love that so many of you participated in this past Christmas, what God's accomplished through this church, He accomplished through a church community. And so it inspires me to open this year at least with a very short series on community. Because what God did, he did through community. Not through any individual, lest any person should boast, but he did it through community. This is his modus operandi. This is God's favorite method. He had a chosen people of God. In the New Testament, when he talks even about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in you, that you, almost without exception, is plural, did you know, addressed to community. We are all together, united in community, indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Now, theologically, I'll stand for that each individual is indwelt with God's very presence, too, But the push and the emphasis even of our individual indwelling of the Holy Spirit is no man is an island. It's God's plan that all of us together combine our giftedness and combine our indwelling with God himself to reach the world for God. Amen? Amen. And so I want to begin this year a little bit by talking about community. And it's no coincidence that community includes unity. Both the word community has it in it, but also the concept, the idea, the practice, the living out of community includes unity. Community has to include unity. Without unity, there is no community. There's just calm and what good is that, right? (laughs) So we need to have unity if we're to be a community and so for the next three weeks, I'd like to share a bit on unity in community. What better place to start than with jesus so please turn in your bibles if you would to john chapter 17 in a minute i'll begin reading at verse 20 but you can scan at least the first part of that verse john chapter 17 the context is we find jesus spending his final time his last time together with his disciples at least 11 of them because judas has just left and it's his last time that he spends with them before he's crucified the next day. John records in John chapters 13 through 17 what theologians like to call Jesus' farewell discourse. They like to use big words like that. But it's a fancy long title for it. Here's his final thing he has to say on the eve of the cross. And so we'll begin this year our discussion of unity and community by looking at the very end of Jesus' final words to his disciples right before he dies. And incidentally, John chapter 17 John chapter seventeen has to make it on a very short list of the most powerful, most special, most insightful chapters in all the Bible. And the reason I say that is because this chapter gives us a glimpse of into the heart of Jesus, unlike any other gospel or any other chapter. Written by the one that Jesus called the beloved disciple, the gospel of John has been called the beloved gospel, and John 17 may well be its beloved chapter, because it expresses so much of what Jesus aimed to express in his entire life and work. In fact, it summarizes it really And one thing that makes it so beloved, so intimate, so revealing is that Jesus' final words before the cross to his disciples is in the form of a prayer. Jesus prays to God the Father. And you know, it's unfortunate, really, that the Lord's prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, it's unfortunate, really, that the Lord's prayer gets all the attention it so often seems when it comes to Jesus' prayers. And I'm not diminishing the Lord's Prayer at all. It's a great prayer. It's a powerful prayer. I hope you pray it often like I do. But John 17 is no less. But you never hear of that prayer, really, of Jesus. At least I haven't in my 45 years. It's the longest prayer that we have from Jesus. That could well be why maybe it's not as popular and while the Lord's Prayer is certainly comparable, not even the Lord's Prayer provides either the depth or the range of ideas offered here in Jesus' prayer in John 17. Maybe you've noticed, when you listen to someone pray, whether it's a friend or in church or a husband or a wife, when you listen to someone pray, you often get a glimpse a deeper glimpse into the deeper recesses of that person's consciousness about God, don't you? Particularly when it's a last prayer or a parting prayer before you're going to be apart for a while. And throughout the Bible, dying or departing leaders or prophets or rabbis, they would commonly provide Final words of instruction to their disciples who were going to remain behind. Moses did it, you recall. At the end of his life, you'll find his last words to Israel in the last two chapters of Deuteronomy. Moses addresses God's people one last time, summarizing what's important, what's nearest and dearest to his heart before he leaves. The Apostle Paul does something similar with the entire book of 2 Timothy an epistle that Martin Luther calls Paul's last will and testament. And now before us in John 17, we have Jesus himself doing the same. And so what is it that's on Jesus' heart and mind the night before he assures the opportunity to live together with God forever? The night before he saves the world, what's on his mind as he's there literally in the shadow of the cross. It's Jesus' last chance to share with his disciples his concerns and hopes before his arrest and trial and crucifixion. What does he say? What's his final words of instruction? What's foremost on Jesus' heart? Well, if you scan with me at least the first part of John 17, you'll see his first part of his prayer. Jesus prays that his imminent death His obedience even to death. He prays that that will ultimately glorify glorify and bring honor and praise to God. And then beginning at verse 9, Jesus prays for his original disciples. Eleven of them there that night. And he prays passionately for them. And finally, his last words of all. Did you know? Jesus prays for you, specifically for you. Did you know that in the Gospel of John, there is a recorded prayer that Jesus prayed the night before he died on the cross directly for you? Here we have proof beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus had each one of you on his heart and in his mind as he climbed Golgotha and hung on the cross. You. And you might think that that alone would give this prayer as many headlines at least as the Lord's Prayer. Jesus prayed directly for you hours before he died for you. And we have the words of that prayer right here, but interestingly enough, they're not often highlighted. And it makes me wonder if the devil's in that detail. It makes me wonder if there's something there that he doesn't want us to emphasize or hear, even as much as Jesus wanted us to hear it as his final, foremost word. Here's his prayer for you beginning at verse 20, John chapter 17, addressing God the Father. My prayer is not for them alone, not just for those disciples sitting there that day. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Wow. I added the wow. I in them in you in me may they be brought to complete unity do you see a theme developing may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me wow father i want those you have given me to be with me where i am and to see my glory the glory you've given me Because you loved me before the creation of the world, righteous Father, though the world doesn't know you, I know you, and they know you sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. A remarkable prayer that Jesus prays for you. So much there in that prayer and in the balance of John 17. If you need something for your devotions this week, read through Jesus' entire prayer. But in a word, in a word, one word at least, you can summarize a major theme in his prayers for us with the word unity. Unity. The unity of Jesus the Son and God the Father, the unity between Jesus and us, and the unity among us all, which is to be even like the unity between Father, God the Father and God the Son. Of all the things that Jesus could have emphasized the night before he died, of everything that he might have said, Jesus highlights the importance, the necessity of our unity. It's foremost on his heart as he goes to the cross. He opens and closes his farewell discourse with an appeal to love and to unity. Beginning back at the beginning of the discourse in John 13, he begins by giving them all a new command. Love one another, he says. As I have loved you, as I have loved you, so love one another. Then he ends. With the same emphasis in John 17, oh, may they be one. Make them one, he pleads with God. Twice, so we're sure not to miss it. Bring them to complete unity, he pleads with God. And why? Why might this be so first and foremost on his heart, this unity? Did you catch it? His reason is again at the beginning and the end of his final words, this final discourse. In John 13, Jesus commands us to love each other. Why? So everyone will know that we follow Jesus and follow a God who is love. Unity and love is the mark of a follower of Jesus. And then in John 17 again, he prays for unity. So that the world will believe God sent Jesus and so, get this, The world will know through our unity that God loves his people just like he loves Jesus the Son. Do you know that God loves you just as much as he loves Jesus himself? In a word, Jesus desires our unity, insists on it. God wants us unified because of its witness to the world. A church has to be unified. It must be unified if it wants to be an effective witness of a God who is love and a God who is unity and triune. And when a church is, it witnesses to the world the loving relationship available for all who would join in with God. And what a powerful witness unity is. And it's so powerful because of our human nature, the way God made us in the image of God, because people crave community, it's in their DNA. We want a place to belong. We want a place to call home. We want to feel supported and encouraged. We want to feel like someone's got our back. God made us social by our very nature. That's a huge part of what it means to be made in the image of God, of the triune God. We're relational. Counselors tell us that loneliness is one of the absolute worst things a person can experience or endure. One study shows that the same neurological connectors in our brains, the same ones that fire off when we're in intense, unending pain, those same, whatever they're called, neurological connectors in our brain that fire off when we're in extreme pain, those same ones fire off when people are lonely. So if you can imagine, some of you maybe have dealt with this in your life and maybe you're dealing with it now. The awful reality of not being able to find relief from pain. Some of my friends who suffer from migraine headaches, I see it in their eyes when they can't get relief from it unending constant pain and what that does to your spirit and to your emotions and to who you are even before God and your ability to try to, uh, to to act out being in the image of God. That same spirit or emotional reaction in your head puts that same thing over you when you are lonely. Counselors tell us that um, other studies have shown when, when people are isolated when they're alone for too long. Have you seen some of those videos? They're probably on YouTube. But when you see them, when people get alone for too, uh, for too long, they start like going nuts. I mean, literally, they go crazy. They start to act in- inhuman. They don't think straight. They start talking to themselves. So it feels like someone is there to talk to. And it systematically even breaks down of what all of us would say means, what it means to be human. Because part of what it means to be human is that we relate with others. We communicate with others. We're together with others. We crave unity. One counselor writes like we crave water. People have this deep need, a deep desire to be part of community. And the church, the church is God's response to that deep need desire and need, because God knows he made us that way. God knows our deep desire for community and unity and to belong, and his response to that deep need in this fallen world, his intended response is the church, a people of God who are unified with God and with each other, that offered to the world is God's amazing response to every person's deep desire and need for community. We've seen it. We've read about it in the news in many different ways. One way that we read about a person's need for community, leading them to do almost anything to get it, we want it so badly, the startling success of cults, where people, we scratch our heads when we read the report of, how on earth can these people be so willing to participate in even these bizarre things or rituals? Even gladly participating as a group in such bizarre things as mass suicide even? What makes a person want to do that? In large part, we're told, they're being driven by their hunger to belong somewhere, no matter the consequence, So deep is our need for acceptance and validation and affirmation and belonging, our need for community. And the church is God's response to that deep desire and need. A church unified with God and with each other and offered to the world is God's response to people's hunger to belong somewhere. So if you want to reach the world for God, if we want to as a community reach the world For God, it has to start with loving each other. Loving each other and being one, just like Jesus prayed in his emphasis before the cross. And given his emphasis, it can easily be said that our unity is among at least the most powerful witnesses we have that God is indeed our God, is the only God, and is a God of love. And so no wonder... No wonder the devil works so hard to defeat Christian unity, to divide us all the time. He knows that that's a weak link. He knows that he can tease our pride. He knows that, you know what, if I can just get them to fight and bicker and divide among themselves, I will take away... I will do what I can to keep Jesus prayer from the powerful witness of unity happening in the world. And so of course he attacks us there. He attacks us, our marriages there. He attacks the relationship between moms and dads and kids there. If he can isolate us, if he can divide us, if he can fill us with a sense of self and what I say is the right way and all the, if he can get us there, he diminishes our witness. He knows how important unity is to show the world God. And Jesus does too. It's so important to Jesus, it's so in his mind the night before he gives his life for greater unity to enable the Holy Spirit to give us a power to unify more than ever before. Because he knows, Jesus knows how desperate people are for a place to belong, a place that cares, a place that loves them. God's plan to reach the world, one way to look at it is simply this. Okay, I'm going to have my people come together and they are going to become, with my power and my spirit and their effort and willingness together in partnership, like always, I'm going to have my people come together and become the most loving community of all time, anywhere put those cults to shame so that when people see it, when they taste it, when they know it, when they see that kind of love in the body, well, they're going to tumble and rumble and stumble. I feel like Chris Berman. They're going to... Sorry. Rumbling, bumbling, stumbling, touchdown! Isn't that what Chris does? Sorry. God's plan is that he gives infuses his community, indwelling us with the power of the Holy Spirit and makes this such a loving place that when people get a taste of it, when they see it, when they see that we love them for no reason at all, just because, when they see it, they'll go, wow, I want to be a part of that. That's his plan. And it's one reason, if not the reason, why Jesus says, he says it in his prayer, that's why I want him unified so that the world will know. So, for the next couple of weeks, I'd like to look at and explore what unity looks like among the people of God, because it's difficult. It's one of those things, those many things that God guarantees by His grace and requires all of every part of us to partner with Him to attain. One key, one key to our unity is to get everyone here involved in the community. And I mean everyone. And maybe past only Sunday service. If you've got the time. If you want to be a part of a powerful witness that Jesus prays the night before he dies, a unified body. And so it's no coincidence that the next two Sundays, we had so much fun last year with one Sunday of ministry fair that now we're doing two this year. So the next two Sundays, we'll have our ministry fair, and there are going to be tables set up downstairs where each and every one of our ministries will be there for you to explore and to ask, and to ask yourself, where does God want me to be involved in the unity of our community? One opportunity that you all have to be involved is in our covenant membership. You'll find those handouts in your bulletin this morning. Go ahead and take those out if you would and just take a look at them. They're not to here for you to hand back in today. You can hand them in at the ministry fair. You'll find there what membership at West Bowls is all about. They're designed for you to take home. Please, sit down with your families. Read through them. Prayerfully consider renewing your covenant membership if you've already done that before. becoming a covenant member for the first time. It's it's a significant step that we can all take toward greater unity. There's one thing in particular that I wanted to highlight in there, and it was something that uh, many good people last year pointed out. I know that some people came and they said, you know what, we believe and we agree with those things that are being talked about in that covenant membership, but um, I'm hesitating over making this commitment because I'm not sure of you know, what happens if life circumstances change? You know, what if a job takes me to a new place? What if, what if life circumstances change that make me unable to keep this promise? Because you're asking me to promise this to God. And I commend those folks for taking that oath seriously. So what we did this year, what we did is we made a change to make explicit that should God lead you elsewhere, you're of course free to follow his lead. It's ultimately all between you and God anyway, really. You'll see that in that insert where we've added as God continues to lead you, this is the commitment that you make. I would think, I would hope that that addresses those concerns at least that we had last year and that all of you, all of you, I'd love to see all of us in this room today make those promises and that commitment to unity and community this year. We'll have a covenant membership table as part of the ministry fair downstairs, Dave and George and I. Um, We'll be there at the table, at least any one of us or two or three of us will be able to answer any questions you might have. And that's where you can turn in that uh, information part of the form over the next two weeks. So, come ready next week. Would you, intending and eager to find a ministry into which you can dig deeper into community at West Bowls? There's all sorts of them in all sorts of different areas requiring all sorts of gifts and time. And there is something for you here, I'm convinced. So help us God. It's tough. It's tough to build unity when not everyone is involved. And I just I think it would be awesome if everyone signed up for at least one thing in the next two weeks. Is that too high a goal? If everyone, could, if everyone could sign up for at least one thing. What God could do with that kind of response, that willingness to be a deeper part of unity and community, what God could do with that is infinite. And that excites me. I'd like to close. I'd like to close this morning with, um, with parts of Jesus' prayer again from John 17. Only this time, I've paraphrased his prayer into first person, as if Jesus is standing right here today speaking to us. And then following that prayer, if you'd please remain where you are a moment longer for a brief announcement before we're dismissed, I would appreciate that. Would you stand, please? If you are able, and hear again Jesus' words to his disciples, hear his words to us, these are his words to you that he prayed to God 2,000 years ago, and I picture Jesus standing here today, and if we asked him, what did you want of us, what did you ask of God for us, Jesus, 2,000 years ago? He may well have said something like this using his prayer in John 17 as a model. Soon, I'm going back to my Father in heaven. But I need to tell you these things while I'm still standing right here so you may have the full measure of my joy within you. I have given you my Father's word and the world has hated you for it. For you're not of the world any more than I am. I'm not asking God to take you out of the world. But I am asking that he protect you from the evil one. Don't forget, you're not of the world, even as I'm not of it. I want you, I want you to become holy by the truth of God's Word. That is, you need to be different than the world. You need to obey God, loving Him, loving others, because you have a special purpose. And your purpose is this. Just like my Father sent me into the world to reveal Him, I'm sending you into the world to reveal Him too. I gave my life on a cross for you, for your salvation, sure, but also to enable you to make it possible for you through the power of the Holy Spirit to give your lives sacrificially in reaching the world with the truth. Won't you join me for the sake of the world? And my brothers and sisters of West Bowles Community Church, I I not only prayed for Peter and James and John and and the rest of my original disciples 2,000 years ago, I'm also praying for you, for all of you. I'm praying that all of you may be one. Just like God the Father is in me and I am in Him, I'm praying God will continue to make you one. I want you to be in us too. Why? So that the world may believe God sent me. I've given you the glory that God gave me so that you may be one as we are one, I in you and God in me. I want you to be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know that God sent me and to let the world know that God loves you as much as God loves me. Did you know that? Did you know my Father loves you just as much as He loves me? I want you to be with me where I am, one with God, and I want you to see my glory. The glory God has given me because He loved me before the creation of the world. Because when you see my glory, the evidence of God's love, you'll laugh out loud with joy. Though the world doesn't know God, I know Him. I know Him and you know that he sent me I know I made God known to you and I will continue to make God known so that the love God has for me may be in you so that I myself may be in you and together we can share God's love with the world Oh, will you join me West Bowls? and together united in love we can reach the world And all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. You should have received a letter this week about the upcoming year. I understand the mail's running a little bit late, so maybe not all of you have received it, but it's coming if you haven't received it. And it includes some changes, some information on some changes in our staff the upcoming year. One of those changes takes place in just a few weeks. Matt and Annika McPherson will be stepping down as our high school leaders following the winter retreat with those kids in February. And because that's so close upon us, I wanted to at least give a month or so and take the opportunity this morning as a community to say thanks. I mean... Those of you who have known Matt and Annika have been deeply blessed, as I have been too. They have been, they basically grown up in West Bowles, and they've been involved in leadership in some capacity, gosh, it's been for over 10 years now. These two, I know, because the stories are legion, they keep coming. They have so greatly influenced and impacted so many lives with God's love. They're one of the most beautiful and stunning examples I've ever seen of what it means to truly biblically make disciples by developing relationships, deep and intimate relationships, and by serving others in love. Over the last four years that I've known them, I, and I've watched them, and I've observed them, and I've seen what they've done with their youth. I have been so richly blessed by their self, selfless service to God. And seeing their example, I realize that I have a lot yet to learn about what it means to be Jesus to others in my relationships as they are to others. Matt and Annika, for your example... For your example of what it means to be just like Jesus and loving others as yourself, you have my utmost admiration and respect. And while they're going to be sorely missed, you know who know them. They are so incredibly gifted. And God does not waste gifts like that. He doesn't waste his gifts. And so I know that God will continue to use them in powerful ways wherever they are and with whoever they meet. Now, they asked me, not to have them come up this morning, so I won't. As you might imagine, it's a a difficult transition for them. But I do have their permission to pause and invite you all to join me, if you like, in recognizing them and in thanking them for their lifetime of faithful service. Matt and Annika, I bless God for you, and we are so blessed that you have given your lives to us in this way. see those kids know you high schoolers you know you know what it means to have a rabbi in every cultural sense of the term in the time that you've spent with matt and annika and don't worry they're not going anywhere you're still going to let them have your phone numbers and stuff right so yeah you call them anytime you want but i know it'll be tough for you guys and we'll be praying for you Hey, they're going to be here after the service in the lobby or up front, and uh, they're also going to be here at least the next coming weeks. I hope you all, if you like, uh, please make sure you find them and congratulate them and thank them for their legacy of loving discipleship. That's a huge, infinite gift that they've given our church. Grace and peace to you all.